It's great to see you, brothers and sisters. I usually that when somebody as a pastor begins with, you know, saying, I lo- uh, it's great to see you, brothers and sisters, it's kind of a put on, you know, it's kind of the thing that we are supposed to say, you know, welcome, brothers and sisters. But you see, there's a reason why that has become common for the way we speak. When you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, because you guys know the same Lord that I know, because you're adopted by the same God who has adopted me, we are brothers and sisters. It's not actually uh, fiction. That's not an analogy. That's not anything like that. That's actually the fact And it's wonderful to spend time with you, brothers and sisters, to be able to praise Jesus together with you, to love God together, to hear about his wonderful gospel and the way, uh, thank you, Panaje, for telling us about it, the way that God has been working in the lives of some of our, our brothers and sisters. It's a wonderful thing to do because community is wonderful. It just is. Being together with one another as a family is a wonderful thing. There is a problem, though. Everybody really, really, really loves community. They'll talk about it all the time. If I go online and they say, you know, it's really good that we have a community spirit and it's great to have community with one another. And I'll be preaching about community later on in this series. We're going through a series, Biblically Healthy Post-COVID Church. I've got another sermon coming up about community. But there are some things about community that I'm going to be honest are not very popular outside the church or inside the church. There are two facets of what it means to be in community with one another that we really aren't comfortable with. I'm going to use the words, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me or not. The words are responsibility and accountability. The fact is, it is insanely difficult to maintain community with one another, to maintain love for one another, and to do it in a way that's actually going to be healthy for everybody around us, unless we have both of those things functioning in our own lives and among us. And brothers and sisters, that's where we get the idea of membership. Now, lest you think that I am adding something to Scripture, I'm going to tell you first and foremost, the word member does appear in Scripture. Usually it's by analogy, but it is actually a scriptural word. We'll be talking about it in a few minutes. It's been something that's been constant within the church for centuries. It's not something that was kind of tacked on in the last hundred years as you know, we got more legal and more people who have you know, read law books and stuff got involved. I, I'm going to quote here from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. They say, the members of these churches, talking about the church in section six of this little uh, 
confession, the members of these churches are saints by calling, visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession, their speaking, and their walking, their obedience unto the call of Christ, and do willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. Now, in case you're interested, when you read something from uh, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, you're reading something from a bunch of people who spent a lot of time reading their Bibles. And not only that, did they spend a lot of time reading their Bibles, they stood behind it. While they were doing this, they weren't very popular with the, the culture around them or the people who even called themselves Christian around them. And yet they felt that it was so important to talk about membership that they put it right in the confession of faith that they were going to put before everyone else and say, this is what we believe. We are in community. That is a fact about being a Christian. But it's not a community denuded of all kinds of uh, content. It's a community that's based in something. Namely, the person of Jesus Christ. Namely, the fact that we are saved by Jesus Christ. You see... When you look at Scripture, and what I'm going to try to expound from Scripture today is that church membership, being a member of a local church for whom you are responsible and they are responsible for you, for, to whom you are accountable and will be accountable to you, is simply the act of believers acting as what Scripture tells us to do with one another. Today's worship section was actually really, really good. It was focused on the basis of the glory and majesty of God. If you read the book of Ephesians, and I strongly recommend that you do, whole thing, cover to cover, it's really worth it. If you look at the book of Ephesians, the first half of the book is about the glory of Jesus Christ and his salvation and the wondrousness of how great it is that we are saved and brought into union with Christ. There's, the reason for that is pretty simple, because he's going to be talking about a lot of things in especially the section that we're talking about, which is kind of a close to the capstone of Ephesians, but also when it comes to a lot of other things later, because, because we know Christ, because we are saved in Christ, that is the ground for our community together. That is the reason that we talk about membership. That's the reason we talk about anything. You see, membership is a call to Christian community. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Notice, by the way, the term there, members. I know, again, it's analogical. I know that it's, you know, using an analogy of a body to the person. But notice what it's saying, members one of another. And individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. 
Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who acts with mercy, with cheerfulness. Notice a couple of things there. When Paul writes in Romans, he's talking about the way that people interact with one another. It's not an individual thing. It's the way that people work together in a group. Similar issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. By the way, this kind of, if you want to translate this a little bit more into today, if, if I said that I'm not a preacher, therefore I'm not part of the body, I'd be wrong. If I say that I'm not a, a social person, therefore I'm not part of the body, I'm wrong. Because the body has different parts, different parts that function in different ways to help one another. Be, be, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, these parts of the bodies that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have one, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 to 22. Going, getting closer to the text we're looking at. For through him we have both access in the one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. More directly, Ephesians 3.6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The simple fact is the call that Jesus Christ has on our lives is not a call to simply have a relationship, one of me to, the, to God, 
as if it doesn't interact with the rest of the world. In fact, by being called to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to a community of believers. You are called to be part of the body of Christ. You are called to be in fellowship one with another. We are called to be family. Now, I have a family. I know that this is a really good analogy because my family and I don't always get along. Anybody, anybody got the same experience? You know, I know you guys have wonderful families and you know you don't... You, I, I have some of the biggest drag out, knock down fights with people in my own family. That's the way it happens. Do you know why that is? It's because I love them. And they love me. And there's a safety involved in the way that we fight with one another that knows that they know I'm not going anywhere and I know they're not going anywhere. Uh, It's why, you know, when I was a kid, you'd say, I'm just going to run away from home. You know, when you're very angry with your parents or whatever, you never do it. And if you do, it's it's usually because things are very, very horrible at home. But it's a big thing to say because that's not the way families work. It's, it's actually a huge deal to say something like that. You see, the call to be a believer is not a call to be an individual. It's to be part of the family with one another. To be bought into a family of people who you may or may not like. You don't have to like your fellow believers. You just have to love them. You don't have to, you know, think that I'm awesome. You just have to, you know, be willing to be in community with me and to hold me accountable and to, you know, let me be responsible for you as you were responsible for me in the, in the way we do community. Indeed, if you look at the letters of the New Testament, the vast majority of them are written to communities. Steve used this point last week when he said, uh, if you're reading the Bible, you're reading someone else's mail. Well, it's doubly the case if we... As believers, imagine that the Bible is just written to me personally and I don't need to worry about the way it functions in a community. The Bible was written to communities. And so if you're not willing to be part of a community, I I, I hate to say this to you, you're reading somebody else's mail. The fact is, the Bible assumes community. It assumes that we as believers are members one of another, that the way we function is to have community. Which gets me to the second point. Christian community is a call to responsibility. That's not a word I use lightly uh, lightly because it's something that none of us really likes. In some sense, I am responsible for the way that other people react to me. That's a difficult thing for me. If you've met me and you've talked to me for any length of time, you know that there's a couple of strange things about me. Like, to put it nicely, I'm not very good at social cues. I don't read social cues at all, actually. I have a I have a set of uh, things that I've learned over time that I say, if they're smiling like that, they probably mean this. 
but I've been wrong more often than not. I have no ability to read social cues. It's just the way it is. Makes dating very interesting, let me tell you. I remember one time, I think I may have told this story before, I remember one time there was this girl who I think had a crush on me for like months, and I didn't know anything about this. Like I'd hang out with her and you know, like treat her like a bud, and, you know, it's friends, it's great. And like, I didn't get it until she actually stood on a table and said, I really like this guy, like romantically. I didn't get it till then. That's how incapable of reading social cues I can be. It's not because she was unable to give social cues, it's because I'm a bit of an idiot when it comes to them. But I'm responsible for that. You see, the world will tell you that because I have uh, something that causes me to not be able to read social cues, there actually is a psychological or a, a physiological disorder that, refer, that causes this kind of thing. Uh, for the reference, I'm on the spectrum. But because I know that, I am responsible to help you guys recognize that. I am responsible to spend the time to figure out how am I going to love my brothers and sisters in Christ despite the fact that I'm never going to understand what their facial expressions mean. I am responsible for that. This is why as believers, uh, and again, I'm a, I'm a guy, so I'm going to use men, male, male references here. It's not because I, I'm, I, I don't like my sisters, it's just I'm not one of you in that sense. But like, guys tend to get, say that, you know, I get angry because the girl is, you know, saying, saying all sorts of angry stuff. No, you got angry because you chose to get angry. <laughs> You are responsible for your anger. Sorry, guys. If you look, at, look lustfully at a woman, it's not because she's dressed bad, it's because you chose to look lustfully at her. You are responsible for that. If you find yourself in all sorts of disagreements with the people around you, yes, it could be caused by them. But in a real sense, you are responsible for becoming the kind of person that will go to them and love them and fellowship with them to learn better about how to get along. We are responsible one to another. That's why we see here in the text, sorry, my, this is why you should never pre preach from an iPad. Anyway. Because membership is a call to responsibility because if you look at the text of Scripture, it calls you to love one another. That's why you see these commands here in, in the text that we have for today. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, a lot of people are going to use that as a memory verse to say why I need to be holy. That's not quite what Paul was getting at in Ephesians here. He's telling you to actually act as wise with one another. If you script down a little bit, uh, it's going to talk to here, and uh, my brother will be talking about this when we discuss worship, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody and giving thanks to the Lord with your heart. 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, these commands that God gives to love one another, to fellowship with one another, there are hundreds of them in the New Testament. They're commands to call us to act well with one another. We are responsible for the way we act to our other believers. If you have a problem with me, it's not just your fault. I have to deal with some part of it, which of course is not what the world talks about. The world's view is that if I have some kind of victimology, I don't need to worry about my half of the problem. You know, if it's, it's all because you, uh, it's because I'm on the spectrum and you guys don't recognize that, so I don't need to affect the way that I work. Except the Bible tells me something different. I am to love you. I am to submit to you. I am to desire to see fellowship with you. I am to desire to love you well. So there's a reason that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And these are commands all written so that we as a community can live together. It's easy for me to come up with the ways that other people sin against me. The fact is, everybody sins against everybody. We're all sinners. That's the way it works. So it's always going to be the case that I can find things in other people's lives to try to make myself not have to deal with the situations we have with one another. But the fact is, some part of it is my fault. Some part of it is the things that I am responsible for. It's interesting that the Bible says that, you know, not that we are supposed to live at peace with everyone, but insofar as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. The Bible is clear. We are responsible people. We need to be responsible. But that leads us to the next point, and the point that gets us to the point of what we talk about when it comes to formalized membership in a church. Membership is a call to accountability. Yes, I've said it now. We are called to be accountable to one another. I would like to not say that. I would love to be able to phrase this as, you know, you guys are all accountable to me. I would love to be able to say that. You know, because I'm an elder and I get to make sure that you guys have to, you know, be accountable to what I think the Bible says. But the fact is, we are to be accountable to one another. Notice what the text says. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another. That's going to require, though, that when I am doing something that I really don't want to face... When I am even wholly convinced that I'm right and I'm not, I have to have the willingness and ability for brothers and sisters to speak into my life. Regardless of my role in the church, regardless of what kinds of things I think I know, what kind, regardless of what kind of history I have behind me, I need to be able to hear my brothers and sisters because that's what it is to submit to one another out of love. And I'm going to be honest here. 
if I am not in some kind of formalized relationship with you, I will run rather than have to deal with it. I will find any way I can avoid dealing with the problems that you see in my life because that's the way I work. I used to call my home the fortress of solitude for specifically that reason. I felt that I could retreat to my own home. By the way, I don't call it the fortress of solitude anymore because I think that that's actually sinful and evil because Christians don't do solitude completely. We do community and you're never going to be completely alone because you're always with Christ. But brothers and sisters, the reason that we buy into churches, the reason that we go the formalized background is because we do need to submit to one another. And you see, it would be easy to ignore this and imagine that this isn't something about formalization if it weren't for the fact that I had Sabrina read Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Do you know what comes right after that? Ephesians 5, 22 to 32. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as the head, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to, in everything to their husbands. Now, this is very politically incorrect. I'm not going to get into it today. You can talk to me later. Buy me nachos. It'll be great. Husbands, love your wives. And, and notice it doesn't just say, you know, love your wives as the world tells you to love your wife because that, that's stupid because the, well, the world doesn't understand love at all. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. See, people like to imagine that, the, that this whole submission to one another is just a hierarchy thing, a, a power play to make people have power over one another, when in fact, the main point of all of this is to make sure that we become more holy and loving to one another. I need to submit to you, brothers and sisters, so that you can help me to grow in my love for God and for you. And in case we would imagine that it's not formal, the image that we get is one of marriage. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of the body. Again, there's the member word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and you know, because of the fact that this is you know, very clearly about marriage at that point, we tend to take this out of Ephesians and plop it into wedding services everywhere. But notice what he says here. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, when we have fellowship one with another, Christ gives himself for us. 
in the way that we should be giving ourselves to one another. And not merely in a kind of airy-fairy, kind of touchy-feely kind of way, but in the way that husbands and wives are called to love one another. In the way that husbands are called to give up their very lives for the sake of their wives. The way that wives are to submit to their husbands even when he's being a bit of an idiot. Godly, in godly ways, of course, but and in a formal kind of situation, because I don't know if you've done, uh, those of you who are married, I'm not married, you know, mention inability to deal socially, but the married people I talk to, the married people I've counseled, good marriages don't just happen. They really don't. There are periods of time where people in covenant fellowship, one with another, spend time to work with each other, to learn, to grow in holiness with one another. In a real sense, marriages are war. Not in the, against each other, but against your own sinfulness. You marry your spouse so that she can join you in going to war against the deeds of the flesh in your own life. It's, it's sanctification. And that's the image that God wants us to have for our fellowship in the church. So you know what? People say that the church has a lot of politics in it, and there's a lot of ways that you can hurt one another in the church. Yes. Absolutely. Because that's the way it works if we love one another well. Ideally, we'll come up with structures and systems to make sure that we can function together well. If you're interested, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, I'm going to be doing an orientation class on how we do membership at Calvary Baptist. But we set these things up so that we can actually follow through and do the things that God calls us to do in his word, namely to love one another well. And in fact... This is a large chunk of how we as a church work together. We, mem- we become members. We say that we're members one of another. So that ultimately, when I do something dumb, I can't just say, I don't need to hear from you. You're my brothers and sisters. I need to hear from you. It, it's so that when I am in- need encouragement, that somebody is going to come encourage me. When I need rebuke, somebody's going to come and rebuke me. And that's true for all of us because we all need it. And interestingly enough, that's the sign we have in another part of Scripture when it comes to the communion. We're going to be moving to communion now in a few minutes. And, you know, if the elders want to move forward, they can. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Let's pray. Lord God, 
I think you know I totally lost track of time there, so I'm hoping that I didn't go over the 30 minutes that I said I would. But you, Lord, have been kind to us. You have placed us in communities where we can love one another and love one another well. I pray that my brothers and sisters here will have heard the truth of what the Word of God says today. Lord God, I pray that by your grace you would correct me where I'm wrong and that you'd encourage my brothers and sisters where I was right. Help us to seek after you in everything that we say and do. Help us to seek after you specifically as we accept that we are members, one of another, in your body. Praise you, Jesus. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen.